You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. My name is Rusty and joining me in this uh, interview is Wonder Woman of the PRS series, Regina Milkovich. How are you? Good, good. That makes me laugh every time somebody calls me Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be self-inflicted, isn't it? It, it definitely is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get to your amazing stock in time. How have you been? You've been shooting a lot this year? I have. I've already shot four matches, four two-day matches here, and just about every club match I can get into with a whole slew coming up this season. So, if I'm not on the range, I'll be in the reloading room, I think. Yeah, fa- fancy that. You've got that side of things to worry about. You've just come back from uh, Lone Survivor. Yes. Yep. Um, with bipolar weather that I guess is pretty consistent with Texas. I've heard many times that you stay in Texas for a day, you'll see all four seasons. Um, we we had that on Saturday. It winds that were up to, probably up to about 20 mile an hour and a drizzle. And the next day... No wind at all. We were holding center on targets that were 950 yards away. It was ridiculous. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good match? Yes. Yeah, it was uh, very balanced. Uh, they had four long, like actual long-range stages. Everything else was barricades and quite a bit of prone. So it, I thought it was pretty well balanced. Jake Liver won it with like 92% of the available points or something. So Wow. Yeah, that's good. Of course, he's not human, so... Um. <laughs> so does he, he's, he's got his own category right exactly and i, I heard you uh you beat paul reed mm-hmm. I, I like how you just take that as yeah that's pretty standard <laughs> no it's very rare that i beat paul so overall lone survival was a good match yes it was i got to um hang out with my friend steph and my friend ryan and there's this kid micah that works for david tubb who um we roped into shooting with us on Sunday, Saturday, I spent the whole day with the guys from WeBad and Geoballistics. Mm. So, um, it's a lot of good networking while shooting. <laughs> so well, that's, I mean, we, we spoke about this with, uh, with Mick Stubbins as well, but that's really the, the reason you do it, isn't it? It's all, it's all good fun. It's the people you hang out with. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're yeah. not having fun, there's no point in being there. Nah. So tell me, Regina, about your first match. I'm curious to know. How did that go? Uh, my first match was actually a club match that I got tricked into shooting. Um, <laughs> I, I was really interested in the sport because I'd helped RO, which seems to be a good way to rope ladies into shooting this sport. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim put me behind a spotting scope and I thought, man, that's so cool. They're hitting so far away. I want to do that. So it took another eight or nine months or so to get a find a used left hand 223. So he took me to the range and taught me how to run the gun and how to fix a couple of malfunctions and sort of run a barricade, just real basic stuff, about four hours. And then told me I was shooting a match the next day, which is our, <laughs> our local match, which had, I think we maybe had 12 people that would mm-hmm. show up back then. And I think it came in fourth or fifth. Okay. Tim just walked, Tim just walked by and said fourth. He corrects me every time. So, um, the next month, Everybody showed up again, and half the guys saw me set their stuff down and said, "Now we're just help. we'll just help out." 
we don't want to get beat by a girl. So, um, so I, of course I was hooked then. I was like, really? I can make like grown men get upset. Done. I totally want to I mean, someone to be really good at it. Yeah. And what about your first peer, like the two day event? What was your first one there? My first two day event was NorCal in 2010. They, at the time they weren't allowing two, two threes. So you had to pretty much have a six millimeter and up. And all I had was a 223. So we were mm. building a 243 for me at the time. And I took Tim's 308 that was right handed and finished 58th out of 59. So um, the biggest lesson from that match was never shoot a wrong handed rifle. So, so if I mean, unless I have to shoot a right handed rifle, I'm always going to shoot a lefty because. Yeah. I'm only th- about the only thing right on me are my politics. I'm left-handed, left eye, everything's lefty except except for left-handed scissors. Those are weird. Those just don't make sense. <laughs> I can't say I've delved into the world of left-handed scissors, so <laughs> I'm going to take that uh, on your word entirely. It, it, it came up as a topic over dinner over the weekend, and they kept telling me they were going to give me left-handed scissors. I'm like, don't torture me like that. <laughs> I can't cut anything with those. So oh, good. And so how did you feel after that first match? Were you still pretty sort of pumped or? I was really hooked. I I wanted a rifle that fit me though, not one that was, that fit Tim. So we had a stock built for me and I think we just put a new barrel on my old Remington and I shot that barrel out in like 1300 rounds because I was running a 243 at the time, but I was hooked. So I shot, I think two matches that year three matches the next year, three matches in 2012. Then the sport sort of exploded when the PRS started up in 2012. We had matches all over the place. So I don't think I've shot less than five two-day matches since then. I might have only shot in three, so shot three. No, maybe four. I can't even keep track anymore. Um, <laughs> There's that many. It's, it's hard to get down. <laughs> it's kind of a good thing. Between the PRS and the NRL, there's or almost sixty matches, I think. It, wow. There's, there's a lot. We, we're um, hoping we can have four. Right. <laughs> For the, for the country, but, you know, uh, we'll, I don't think we'll ever get to 60, but, you know, if we can get to four, that'd be great. You know, the the way the sport is growing, to me, um, I've noticed it more on a local level. Hmm. Our club that used to have 12 people show up, the first couple of years, you know, maybe get 20 people. We took a year off last year because we lost access to our range. And at the time we were getting 30 to 35 people. And we're like, holy cow, we're getting really big wow. out here because we're so spread out. We moved to this new range in November of last year and our first match, we had 60 people and now we're, we're routinely getting 60 people. Our club matches this Saturday and we have 66 people signed up and I think five or six on the wait list. So we've never had to actually wait list people. And the only reason we're doing that is because half of our clubs, so to speak, pros are either shooting the Rocky Mountain Mayhem or they're going to MPA or they're shooting the NRL match that's the same weekend. So um, so we have a lot of people that'll be, that would normally be running the match that won't be in town. Gotcha. Yeah. So we should be able to get, be getting 80 or 90 people at a club match, which that's bigger than our, the first two day match that we held, which was 60 people. And we had trouble. I, I don't actually think we really had trouble filling it, but um 60 people for a two-day match used to be a really big deal, and now clubs around the States are getting them regularly for a weekend. It's amazing, and, and we're just starting to see some club movement. There's been a couple of guys doing stuff for a, a little while now, but there's more and more clubs sort of jumping up over here and starting to see those attendance numbers rise, which is which is really exciting. 
So hopefully we see a, a similar effect. Yeah. I mean, that, that's where I think the real growth is anyway. That's where you learn what gear actually works and what doesn't and how to navigate a barricade stage under a short time frame. Um, the probably the worst place to try out a new piece of gear is at a big two day match. <laughs> Not that that stops anybody from doing that, but um, I mean, a, a better place is practice by yourself and then practice at a club match, which we kind of think of as organized practice. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, you got a timer, you got a time time limit. You don't always know what the stage is or what the targets are going to be. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of the same things that would happen in a two-day match, but less pressure. You can try out your new bag that you picked up or try a tripod for the first time. <laughs> that would be a good place to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of equipment, let's uh, let's ask you about that. We, we mentioned the Wonder Woman stock previously. You're still running that? I have taken that out of rotation for right now. I'm sending it back to my gunsmith, Mark Sule, to have him re-bed it for an impact action. Okay. And he's putting a barrel on that impact right now anyway, so I figured he'd have him just set that whole thing up so I can start shooting it again. Sure, yeah. yeah. In the meantime, I'm running a KMW, so they're both McMillan stocks anyway. The A35 that has a Wonder Woman logo on it and the KMWs are a McMillan body that Terry Cross does a bunch of stuff to the inside of, so it makes it his own, I guess. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> uh, who are you shooting for this year? Uh, Timney Triggers is my primary sponsor this year. Uh, I've shot their trigger since 2011 or so, mm. and I run the Calvin Elites, the single-stage flat triggers. Yeah, that's my favorite as well. Tim likes the two stages, and I just can't get comfortable behind him. He says it's because I didn't grow up shooting three-gun or um, ARs very much at all, so uh, the two-stage seems a little foreign to me. I'd rather have the single-stage with that crisp break on it. Yeah, uh, they've got a couple of new triggers coming out soon. Like one that has that has adjustable shoes, the four different adjustable shoes that you can take on or off depending on what you want. Okay. Yeah. Right. No, I'm with you. I don't think Tim's got got his head in the right spot about that. <laughs> yeah. Single stage, single stage, all the way. Mm-hmm. Then again, I didn't grow up shooting ARs or three gun either. Yeah, I don't. I've, I guess there's some pistols also have two stage triggers, but I just can't get comfortable with it. I prefer the single stage still. And I'm a stickler for routine and I don't like change. <laughs> so <laughs> I stick with the same one. Stay with it if it's working. Cool. What else makes up your gear? You mentioned impact action. I, I did buy an impact at the end of last year. I, right now I'm running my defiances. Again, I've got two of those. And I have a surgeon mm-hmm. that my 223 is on. And that's what I actually practice the most on is the 223. Prime ammo picked me up this year, so I've been using their 223 and 9 mil ammo for practice. I went back to Mark Sule at Spartan Precision, so he's building my guns again. I was really happy to go back to him, and we've been great friends for a long time anyway, so he builds me good guns. Yeah, fantastic. Is he local to you? No, he's in California. Okay. He's probably a 10-hour drive or so, but I probably talk to him at least once every couple of weeks or so. I'm still shooting for Vortex, so still got razors on everything. Yeah. And Hawk Hill barrels, I've been shooting those barrels for a while. I'm going through probably four or five a year now at this rate. Mm-hmm. Running the 115 DTACs that I get from David Tubb and Butch's Reloading has been helping me out with uh, Unicorn Tears, the Hodgden 4350 powder. <laughs> so I can <laughs> preload that. Nobody can ever find any. So just, I just put unicorn stickers on all of my jars now when I get them, like, these are mine. 
<laughs> no one else. Yeah. Yeah. Tim started using some of the other, the IMR line and stuff. So I could keep the 4350 to myself. Just for yourself. Yep. That's the way. Nice. See, we bad all of their bags. Um, I really have only been running two bags so far this season, the mini fortune mm-hmm. cookie and the pump pillow. The mini mm-hmm. fortune cookie, I found more uses for that bag than like the five or six that I was carrying around with me before. And yeah, right. the pump pillow I have is the modular one. So if I need it to be as small as one of the, like the tack pads or something, one of the smaller bags, I just take out some of the filler bags and then it's fine. So, okay. Um, can unzip it and take those little bags out. And it works well. Yeah. That mini fortune cookie, uh, I've got one of the fortune cookies. What's the size difference between the two? Are they sort of half the size? It, it is about half the size. The full size one is, I think, 5.7 pounds, and the small one, I think, is about 3 pounds. And it still works really well on barricades? Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. But it'd be like probably a good size as a rear bag, wouldn't it? It, I think it's the perfect size for a rear bag. Mm. I know when they, they said that when they first designed the fortune cookie, they were looking at it as something to use as a heavy rear bag. And mm. for me, with the KMW anyway, and to, in some respects for the A35 as well, it's almost too big, the, the full-size one. It's great on larger props and stuff, but the I think the Mini is it's lighter weight, so it's easier to move around, mm-hmm. and it gives me this, the exact same stability on all those props. Plus, I can use it as a rear bag for everything, too, so it's less stuff for me to travel with. Yeah, anything to get the weight down on those barricade-style bags would be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I, I understand why they need it. I mean, they need it to make you stable. Oh, yeah. But good grief. Like, it feels like you're working out or something, like being like Ryan Castle at the gym <laughs> with all your bags. <laughs> stuff i mean we're not asking for miracles we just want two things that are polar opposites uh to you know really stable and super lightweight so if, if you know we bad and those guys could just get onto that sort of gear that'd be great <laughs> they can find one that's heavy when you need it to be heavy and like air when you're not using it that would be even better <laughs> yeah so if they could just sort of break physics for us that would be brilliant i don't know why they hadn't thought of this earlier that we, we we were onto something here I would appreciate it if they would do that. Maybe I'll ask them next time I see them. Yeah, just, they'll probably laugh at me. Just send them, send them this podcast and they'll get, they'll get all the ideas they need. We'll help them out. Yep. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, the, the other thing I've noticed that's been making a, a kind of a big showing in the last couple of years have been tripods, mm-hmm. mainly really right stuff. They're sore line. And I got real lucky last year and tricked them into sponsoring me. So <laughs> I, I love that thing. I've, Morgan Lamprecht, one of the guys in South Texas, had said, I can shoot tighter groups off of this standing than I can prone. And I thought, you are so full of it until I did it. And he was right. And then I had to buy one. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> and I did buy my first one. And then they helped me out the next one, which Tim thought meant he was going to get one. And I told him, no, that means I have two tripods and you have four Manfrotto's. And now he's got his own. So he won one on a prize table. So he's happy again. Brilliant. I, I like that, that Tim assumes that if you get sponsored, that sort of means he does as well. Yeah. He's like, I get your old stuff done, right? <laughs> no, 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 not always. So he's sponsored, but he sponsored a sponsor ago. <laughs> so whoever your previous sponsor was. <laughs> That's not the worst deal. That's not the worst deal. We are married, and it's like one of those community property states. So I guess technically, that means he gets what's 
mine is his and what's his is mine. And now that it's recorded, he can prove it later on that I did say that. So <laughs> we we could edit it out if required. Let me know if you ever need it. We'll remove that. <laughs> we, we, we're here to cover you. Yeah, <laughs> he's in the other room, so he heard it. It happened. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. Oh, and is there any equipment that you've got your eye on um, that you're either thinking for yourself or that you might recommend that maybe a more budget line for, for those sort of getting into uh, into it? You know, we th- we've been looking at some of the lower budget rifles, mainly for some of the new shooters in our club. And like the amateur that I shot with at the Pro-Am, her name is Sarah. She was running a Ruger Precision Rifle. I've never seen a kid run a bolt that fast outside of like some of the Marines. But they're running like a super fast bolt in a surgeon and she was doing it in a Ruger. So apparently you can break those things in. They're really accurate too. Don't cost a whole lot of money. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of people buying those as practice ones, including Paul Reed. He's got one. He said he won a match with it. He did. He won one of their club matches. He loaned his, loaned his um, I think he was running a surgeon at the time, loaned that out to a guy who didn't have a, whose rifle broke or whatever. And he ran the Ruger and won. Because that says a lot more about talent than it does about gear right there. <laughs> absolute, absolute determination, mate. Maybe that too. <laughs> so the Ruger still is is a really sort of popular one over there. Yeah, I would say so. I think most of the other stuff that people are using that you can get relatively inexpensive would be, well, like what we were talking about with the fortune cookie and mm. some of the bags. I don't think that you need to have... 18 bags looking like a gypsy wandering around. If you have one or two good ones and you learn how to use them or a sling and learn how to use a sling, then you have every bit of stability that the people that are building up like pillow forts before they shoot, you're faster. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with my pillow forts. It's it's good fun. But yeah, you're right. You you lose a lot of time. You don't even get a shot off sometimes. Mm -mm. No, trying to get the most stable and sometimes you have to accept okay stable to get a shot off <laughs> rather than perfectly stable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well and truly. What do you think has made the biggest improvement in your shooting? Is there any particular skills that you worked on that you reckon has changed how you shoot significantly? Taking a class to actually learn some of those fundamentals. I think there's a lot that you can learn when you go and shoot a club match especially if you're horribly unprepared and you don't know what to expect, then you're going to learn a ton. Unfortunately, some of the stuff that you learn when you're going to a club match or shooting on your own is the incorrect way to get behind a gun where then you're comfortable behind your rifle rather than effective behind your rifle. So I think taking a class, even if it's just the club guys putting on a class where it's a little bit more organized than trying to figure out how to shoot kneeling or seated or shoot a barricade with no direction. I think that would help people be much more successful if they did that in the beginning in the first six months rather than winging it for two years and then they go take a class and realize how much stuff they have to relearn. It's really important to take the time to, you know, a lot of Mm -hmm. guys sort of shoot the match and they have to do it all under pressure but actually be able to take the time with someone helping along. Yep. I know a lot of the matches around here, the two-day matches and stuff have started having like a an actual range day that Friday where you could go try out all the props and shoot if you want, don't if you don't want to, after you get your gun zeroed. There's a lot to be said for dry firing off of the props that are available. You don't need to spend any ammo shooting at something that's inside 400 or 500 yards, especially if you know that you're shooting a caliber that you know the wind on. Save that stuff for checking your dope out at long distances, but 
shooting off of a lattice or some sort of weird barricade or any of that, the tank traps, random props, whatever. You could dry fire mm -hmm. off of that on the smallest target that you can find that's at the greatest distance you're comfortable with, dry fire on that. Mm. If you can stay stable on a tiny target, then you're going to be fine on a 10-inch circle at 400 yards. What do you do on those Fridays? Um, I check my zero. Yep. So that's about 10, 10 rounds or so, if that. If they have some far targets, I'll probably spend about 20 rounds checking my dope on those. I don't like to shoot too much because I don't, if, if I find an issue or I overthink <laughs> something, then it, it ends up making its way into Saturday. Yeah, so yep. really it's just confirming dope and then trying to find a position that I can build quickly on any of the props that we're able to actually play on. Cause not knowing what we're going to be doing in a match, cause they don't give you the matchbook till afterwards. It's kind of like a free for all. You might as well try everything to <laughs> Make sure that you're going to be stable on everything. Do you need one bag or two bags? Can you do that with a sling? Would not using a sling be faster? Is it possible to use a tripod on something? Um, using the gear that you actually have with you. Hmm. And then watching other people too, because sometimes you can pick something up from someone. Although I think a lot of the time I find new shooters then and I end up trying to tweak what they're doing. So no, no, don't do that. Do it this yeah. way. So you don't, you don't spend a huge amount of time on that Friday sort of shooting. You just, you know, get in, do what you need to do and then, and then relax or. And then socialize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I spent a lot more time socializing when I should probably be dry firing, but. Yeah. But, do this for fun though. Yeah. I'm sure there's some who don't even shoot at all and just spend the entire day socializing. Some people like Matt Brousseau show up at, like 30 minutes before the range day's over, checks to zero and he's done. He's good to go. And then he goes and wins the match. So there's something to be said with not overthinking stuff too. But isn't he in that category of not human? He is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. Talking about different things there. <laughs> yep. Him and Jake Vibbert, those two guys. Yep. And Dave Preston's up there with them too. I don't know what they, what kind of cereal they have in the morning. Or but, what planet they come from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a pleasure to watch people like that shoot. And and when you actually like during the match, what do you what do you do? Because you know if you're in a squad of ten, you've got a bit of time to be, you know, obviously prepping for your, your particular turn. What do you do in the other times? Um, watching usually. Mm -hmm. Um, I might watch the shooter. Um, normally what I'm doing is trying to watch the targets, so see if I can see what what's going on downrange. I'm looking mm -hmm. for mirage or. Um, any environmentals, I can see them, a pair of binos. And then the rest of the time, I'm cracking jokes with my friends on the squad. <laughs> I'm going to be totally honest. I think probably maybe 50% of the time is serious and the rest of the time is um, cutting up. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. Well, that's a good balance, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because again, if you're not having fun, why are you there? So absolutely. Well, you seem like a, a pretty positive person from your social, uh, your your post on social media, and a little bit of time that we spent uh, with you last year. You do. You always seem pretty positive and pretty motivated uh, about what you're doing. Well, how how do you keep that going? And and particularly during the course of a match, especially when something doesn't go right. Have you got any sort of ways you go about doing that? <laughs> I actually have a funny story about this. Right. I was talking to a friend of mine and girls 
aren't super prevalent in this sport yet. We're there's more of us now than there were in the beginning, mm. but there's still not a lot, a whole lot of us. And I know guys when they get they bomb a stage and they get a little upset, they might throw something or you know say something loudly that they probably shouldn't have, and people notice it. But then they blow it off so like, oh, it's just being a guy. But girls, because it's not socially acceptable for us to punch things or throw stuff, we might get say maybe possibly a little choked up so (laughs) i don't ever want anybody to ever see me get upset on a stage so i'll walk away and go take a breather Mm -hmm. usually it takes a couple minutes and then i'll come back and i'll be fine but there have been a couple times at matches that i got so upset that i was at the point of tears so i came up with this system right i go the portage on (laughs) because There is no way you can feel bad for yourself or sorry for yourself or cry or anything in a portage on for longer than 30 seconds. So, so you have to shape up, get back out there and go shoot. So move on to the next stage. It's like a reality, a self-imposed reality check. (laughs) Well, we've got our first PRS for the year coming up shortly. And and I I think I'm going to keep an eye on on that and see how many people take that advice and shoot, not do so well, and then just wander off for two minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on yep, back. I'm coming out of the portage John. I was like, nope, I'm fine. Yep. I'm fine. I'm That's fine. All good. <laughs> that, was, that was actually a conversation I had with somebody over the weekend, but um, mostly because we were making jokes and stuff about portage johns But nobody needs to see somebody cry at a match. It's not pretty. Or throw stuff. Or pass out an RO. So yeah. um, it's better just to to remember your place and that it's just a rifle match. Nobody's shooting back. It's supposed to be fun. Yep. You actually paid to be there. So figure out what you did, whether it was your dope or your position or, you know, was it you or was it the environment? If it's the environment and you guessed it when you, your wind guesstimate was wrong. All right. Well, move on. If it was you and your position, identify what you did congratulate yourself for the hits that you did get or the fact that you got off 50% of your rounds or whatever it was that some part of it that you did well, congratulate yourself for that. And remember that part, move on to the next stage. Yeah. So do you do that after each stage, a little sort of checklist and you go through and then, and then you leave it all there Mm -hmm. and move on. Yep. And I take notes. So, um, they're not real detailed anymore, but like I'll write down my dope and if something was low on a target, um, I'll write down that my dope was low there. I was high there just in case we shoot a similar stage the next day. Or if I go back to that match a year later, then I have more more information on that range because I keep all my matchbooks. So yeah. Okay. So you do that in the matchbooks over the course of the the day and then you've got a record. Mm -hmm. Yep. We've got like a milk crate full of matchbooks from the last eight years. So, and I'm not even kidding about that either. I could take a picture and prove it. We, um, (laughs) We have all these old matchbooks, so before a match comes up, I might pull out the last two or three years yep. and look through their course fire and see, what, guess what the most likely stages are that they'll put in, like something they haven't put in in five years or something they put in every year and practice for that <laughs> going up, leading into the match. Does Tim happen to be reloading a Dylan in the background? He is. He's um, got a charge master going in the other room. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm, you can hear it. Huh? I, is that the uh, the powder checker that I'm hearing? Yes. Yeah. Right. I, I thought I was. Uh, thought I knew the noise. 
<laughs> he's he's got a, a over 200 load or round, rounds to load tonight. So because he changed his mind on what rifle he was taking this weekend. So, so it's self-inflicted. Yes. Yeah. He's going to take his 223, but it's close to rain, and he's worried about it being overpressure, so he's going to take his 6 Creedmoor instead. Okay. I have 150 rounds to go set. Yes. <laughs> we, won't, we won't hold you up for too much longer. Fresh ammo is the best ammo, so might as well wait till the last minute. I always went with free ammo is the best ammo, but, you know, that's uh, fresh, fresh is good as well. <laughs> Well, that doesn't, I don't know that I've ever seen like a born on date on that. So that could be fresh. <laughs> True. Never know. True. Fresh to you. Fresh to me. <laughs> With the matchbook review, keeping your notes, do you ever look at that matchbook at the end of the shoot as well? Like a little bit of a debrief? A little bit. I kind of accidentally did that last weekend when I was telling Tim, like, I think I shot pretty good today. Uh, really? I mean, I hit most of the stuff I was aiming at. And I went through it and I went, except for these three out of 12 stages that I didn't do very good on. <laughs> All the other ones I did great, though. So, um, so yeah, a little, that might be a little bit of a reality check there. Mm. But I think it's good to keep notes anyway and identify what you do you did well. So there's a much better chance of you repeating something if you focus on what you did right rather than focusing on what you did wrong. So yeah. if you shoot a skill stage that you know is going to be in every single match and you focus on the one miss you had, then the next time you shoot that same skill stage, the likelihood of you missing that same shot again is much greater than if you said, man, I got all these seven shots. They were all spot on and this is what I did and why I was successful at those. Yeah. Well, then the next time you'll probably clean it. It's all that mental stuff. Oh, isn't it? Yeah. If this was going to be, I asked this uh, this question uh, previously of, of others, but if it was day one of my shooting career and, and you were going to coach me for the first day, what would you teach me first? Oh, you poor thing. I would make you dry fire so much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the guy that I trained last time, that's pretty much um, all we did. Like the first four hours we went to the range was body position and shooting groups and um dry firing a little bit before we started moving on to shooting targets at distance. And then the second time we went out, we started working on barricades, but uh, supported positions. So the, the draw firing is really about sort of securing the fundamentals in or is it? Yes. Well, I mean, anything, you do it a whole bunch of times, you do it repetitively, but you do it correctly. So you have good focus practice, mm. then you're more likely to do that out of habit than in the future. So I know that when I first learned how to get behind the gun properly, that took me six months or so before it felt comfortable. That whole six months leading up to that, that was horribly uncomfortable. Somebody's much smarter than me told me that my rifle doesn't care if I'm comfortable. Yeah, It's a tool and use it as such. So now I can tell if I have a slight bend in my hip or if I'm leaning a foot out the wrong way. I know if I'm not comfortable, my shot's not going to go where I want it to go. Mm. And then people dry fire too quickly. It's not a race to get the bolt forward. Take your time when you're dry firing. I mean, nobody's got you on a timer then. So to me, that's the time to make sure you have a good shot and that your natural point of aim is actually on the target and your crossers are where you want them to be rather than just racing to run that bolt and click the trigger and move on to the next one. So and treat it like it's a, a speed drill mm. rather than 
learning how to be behind your gun. Mm, slowing it down. Yeah. Yeah, and getting it, getting it perfect. Mm-hmm. Yep, so that then when you are on the clock, you know what it feels like. Mm. You could go from standing port arms to dropping down behind your gun, but you're going to center up your shot because you're, your body feels right. Yep. You're used to what it feels like to be correctly behind your gun. Is there a skill that you're currently working on? I'm always working on positional because I hate it so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> seated, I'm pretty good. Kneeling and standing offhand, yeah, not so much. No. I'm still working on those. So I just got a, a 22 to start working on that more because that's how much I hate it. So. <laughs> <laughs> you hate it so much that you bought a gun for it. Yes, <laughs> just to work on it to improve. <laughs> And so how do you do that? You, you go through drills? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know that's actually really organized, but I'll load up a couple mags and work on one position. And we've got these Voodoo Gunworks rifles, so now we can actually dry fire with the 22. Okay. And so I dry fire quite a few times first before any, I use any live rounds. And then I'll just work on that for a while. It's usually not more than about 30 minutes, though, if it's live fire. Mm -hmm. And dry fire at night. And work on that for five to ten minutes a couple times a week so just so i don't end up building up bad habits i don't want to go longer than that no. on a dry fire at night in the house <laughs> but mostly because i don't want to i don't want to build up any bad habits you, you're tired at the end of the day and it's easy to get lazy mm, and they're not fun positions to shoot from anyway at the beginning <laughs> to start with no they, they suck for a reason they're <laughs> totally suck they're awful <laughs> yeah them in matches so i have to keep practicing them yeah yes it's crazy i even throw them in matches <laughs> <laughs> because i suck at them <laughs> you so you yep. you put together a few matches that's for the the club sort of stuff mm -hmm. yeah and we've got a big two-day prs match coming up in november also that um matt levine and i are the co-match directors for ah, cool. tim's been the match director in the past couple of years and he said this year i don't want to do it i want to run a stage and be mean to shooters so we said all right how much you do that so he, he won't be mean i'm just kidding about that part but he will be i'm um, sure he, he does will. just want to run he just want to run he just wants to run a stage so uh, like what type of ma uh, stages do you like putting in matches or to shoot yourself i personally like barricade stages and to me, uh, I use that term loosely because a tank trap, a fence rail, um, a patio chair, uh, they're all barricades to me. Sure. I think anything that's a supported position, I treat like a barricade. And I like those because I, I think that they test your planning as well as your fundamentals. Mm -hmm. So, Because um, I, I know I'm not the only one who's gone up to a barricade with too much crap failed miserably like you end up just throwing bags everywhere it looks like a yard sale and you still are not in a solid position so i i like them from varying heights so to work on all that stuff so the barricade stages are the, are the, are the popular ones or the favorite ones for you for me yeah um i really don't like the ones where i have to run but my club does so we have a lot of obstacle courses that we like to put into to matches um, so if anybody's listening that is planning on shooting our match in Arizona in November, then they might want to work on their cardio because there'll probably be a couple obstacle courses in there. So okay. Okay. We like those. <laughs> Start working out, hey? Yeah. I mean, they're not far. They're yards, not maybe feet, not even yards <laughs> that they have to move. But <laughs> yeah. but it is under time pressure. So. Um, yeah. It changes it, doesn't it? 
Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I remember hearing a podcast number of years ago, Regina, with uh, I think it was Kirk from Precision Rifle Media. He was speaking to you about when you practice, you actually often will practice with a 308 rather than one of the smaller cartridges. Is that something you still do? I do. Uh-huh. I've got a Defiance 308 that, well, when my, when I didn't have back-to-back matches so frequently, <laughs> um, two weeks going into a match, I would run my 308. So I'd get used to controlling the recoil because mm-hmm. then I'd go shoot my six and there is no recoil at that point. Whatever I thought I had, like, man, the six kicks so much. Go shoot a 308 and like, no, my six doesn't kick at all. My <laughs> six is like a 22. So it desensitizes you to the, to the recoil? Yes. Yeah. And you find that really effective? I do. Because um, I think if you control a, a 308 or a heavier caliber, then you're not going to have any problem with uh, competition caliber, you know, something that's lighter weight. Mm. I don't think I'm the only one that, I don't think I'm the only one that does that though. Cause I think I heard that Jake Biver used to do that too. I don't know if he still does, but I thought it was a brilliant idea. And then I found out like four or five other people were doing it. I was like, well, sorry, I gave away your secret. You're, you're working towards superhuman status. Is that the guy? <laughs> that, man, wouldn't that be a cool goal? That would be a cool goal. <laughs> wouldn't be. Not quite there yet. Something to tick off. Somebody gave me a Wonder Woman thing, a, few years ago and I thought it was really cool and I posted it up and from there the the Wonder Woman thing kicked off but I am not a superhero so or superhuman or anything like that I'm still trying to crack the top five again so have you have you ever worn a cape to a match I should but I haven't okay (laughs) I think that's your next step that's where you're going wrong (laughs) that's where I'm slacking I I can't wait to see those photos (laughs) <laughs> I, I might just do it, but it might be sometime in October. I, I can wait. Like around Halloween. I can something. wait. That's all right. <laughs> Very good. I imagine a lot of people are listening to your advice and, and trying to take on what they can from this chat so far. Is there anything you sort of really suggest if they're going to go shoot their first match, their first two-day match, and, and really haven't done a lot previous? Um, I would say listen more than you speak. Think about what kind of questions you you actually have, write them down and find the person that looks like they actually know what they're doing and watch what they're doing. Take notes on that and then ask them. Ask them the questions that you've been tracking down this whole time. Mm. So I think people tend to talk more than they actually listen and you can learn a whole bunch just by shutting up. The first few matches I went to, I was real quiet because I didn't know how to read wind. I didn't have any idea even where to start with wind and nobody was really paying attention to me. I got all their wind calls cause I shut up <laughs> and there's a lot to be said for, for just paying attention. And you'll notice if something looks like that's not going to work. And then the person shoots it and it does, but if that wasn't your original plan, then don't do it. Save that for, write it down, save it to practice when you get mm-hmm. home. But if you come up with a plan, stick with it. Don't change just because somebody else hit a lot of targets with it because people do that a lot too. And that never works the way that you think it's going mm. to ever. It's more like Wiley Coyote chasing the roadrunner. <laughs> never goes as expected. And, and if all else fails, wear, wear a cape. Yes. Yes. Wear a cape. Indeed. <laughs> we'll see if anyone does actually. I'll send you photos if they do. <laughs> I hope somebody does. That would be I awesome. I really hope someone does as well, actually. I'm, I'm considering it. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. 
Regina, thank you very much for spending some time chatting away. And uh, it's really good to get a picture of how things are over there and, and your journey and, and what advice you've given uh, given out. I think you're a really good role model for the sport, um, not just for the girls in the sport, but for, for everyone, the way you sort of handle yourself for matches from, from the, the one match I've seen and also from the, the what people say about you is, is really positive and, and it's wonderful to have people like you in, in this sport and appreciate you sharing your knowledge and passing it on to our shooters over here that are listening and uh, hopefully we'll help them with PRS matches wherever they are in the world. Thanks, Rusty. No problems at all. Thank you very much and good luck for what, – what is your max match? I will be at the MPA Summer Shootout – or no, I'm sorry, MPA Spring Shootout right. this weekend. All right. Well, if, yeah. if Paul Reed's there, look out, mate, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> She's coming for you again. Thanks, Regina. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.